Once again, I'm Stuart Mazell, lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for being online or on the podcast. Uh, Today we are continuing a series that we began last week called Life Together. And last week we talked about how we, we need one another, how God has designed the body to be together, how that's how we best are a witness to the world around us. Today we're going to specifically talk about one thing that all of us are called to do as the body. And it's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah, I'm going to be um, doing it Spurgeon style today. Uh, If you don't know who Spurgeon is, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was a pastor in the 1800s, and he would take a passage of scripture like this, and he would look at just one part of it and preach an entire sermon on it. I know that's not normal for us, but that's what we're going to be doing today. From Colossians 3, chapter, sorry, chapter 3, verse 16, this is God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is a very short passage, but help us to meditate, uh, to let it sit down deep into our souls as we just sang, uh, that your truth that is found here will catch hold of all of us, whether we are a believer or not. And Lord, will you build your church the way that you want to build us for your glory, for our good, and for the good of the community around us. And Lord, would you help me to speak your truth in such a way that it would be understandable? But more than that, Holy Spirit, would you please work in each person as they listen, that exactly what they need to hear would be heard and that you would work in their heart to do exactly what is needed, whether that's faith, repentance, or obedience, or all three, bring that about, again, for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So this is is a church. Everybody knows that. Right? We are the church. And so this should be a very easy question for us to answer. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? You know, I bet here in the South, if I went around and just started asking people, what do you think it means to be a a disciple of Jesus, there would be some people who would say, well, you know, it's mostly about the do's and the don'ts. You know, a list of rules that you're supposed to obey. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't date those who do. (laughs) 
Others would probably say, well, you know, it's about being religious. You know, you go to church, you go to a service like this, you attend worship services, you, you participate in certain rituals, you do certain things that make you a Christian, right? And others might say, well, no, it's about beliefs. What is it that you believe? If you believe certain religious tenets, then you're considered a disciple of Jesus. Well, I want you to hear this very clear. I'm going to try to say this very clearly. It is absolutely vital for a true disciple to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. All right? But being a disciple is not merely about assent to certain truths. It's not merely. It does contain that, but it's not merely about that. And while it's true that disciples of Christ will participate in certain religious ceremonies, that's really not at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And yes, while there are particular things that we will do or not do because we are a follower of Christ, there's really a lot more to being a disciple than a list of do's and don'ts. To some of you, this is going to come as a surprise. But really, to be a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost, is to learn from him. To learn from him. Yes, we believe that he is Lord and Savior, but how do we know that? Because he taught that. We learn from him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We learn from him. If in the olden days, if you were a disciple of a clockmaker, you sat under his tutelage. You watched him as he made a clock. You watched him as he put the, the minute hand and the hour hand in and the little things that go around, whatever they're called. And he, you would do that because that was what you were going to be one day. You were going to be a clockmaker. To be a disciple of Jesus is to learn from him because we are going to be like him one day. All right? Everybody clear on that? Yeah, you can, you can shake your head. That's, that's definitely Presbyterian. Shaking your, nodding your head. It is, it is the Presbyterian amen. Mm-hmm, preacher. Preach it, preacher. All right. So that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But if you hear that, if you hear that and you're thinking, that's what I am called to do, and you're not thinking about another person, then you still don't have disciple right. We live in a very individualistic culture where we think mainly about ourselves. We're very self-centered, very focused on just me. And that's the way we think about even our Christianity, even following Jesus. It's about me and Jesus. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. That's not what Jesus tells us. Jesus did not, at the very beginning of his ministry, call one disciple by himself. He called a group. Right? 
There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as an individualistic following of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means that not only I follow Him, but others are following Him, and we follow Him together. And that's spelled out throughout all of Scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we are disciples of Jesus, those of us who believe, those of us who who say we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, we are called to learn together, to learn from Jesus together. That's what we're called to do. Christ followers are called to learn together. And where do we see this? One of the places we see it is in the passage I just read from Colossians 3.16, but you may not catch it. Here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, first of all, let's think about this. We're not to be impoverished when it comes to the word of Christ. Okay? We're not talking about pennies here. Exchanging pennies. We're talking about the big bucks. We're talking about being a millionaire when it comes to the word of Christ. It is to dwell richly. Not just paltry. Richly. Just overflowing. It's so much a part of me that it is a part of my DNA and it just overflows into who I am and what I do. That's what it means to let the word of Christ dwell richly. But I want you to know, if you read that passage and you're thinking the word of Christ is to dwell in me richly, you're, you're still not reading it correctly. Yeah, it is, to, it is to dwell in you as an individual. But that you is a y'all. Right? Now, in English, we can't really see this. But in, in the original language that this was written in, in Greek, you, singular, and you, plural, are very clear. You can't mistake them. And if you don't want to take my word for it, you can look it up. There are so many tools online that you can find this stuff out about. You don't even need me for that. All right? You can do it yourself. But, I, but take my word for it, at least for now, that the word you there is y'all. All y'all, if you want to be more specific. Every single one of you all together, the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly. Not just in one person in you as a whole, as a community. And we see that that is the way of the Christian. That is the way of the follower of Christ all throughout Scripture. I'll show you just one place. In Acts chapter 2, when the church sort of begins for the first time in, in its current form, what do we see? There were a bunch of people who came to faith. And what did they do? They devoted, them, they devoted themselves as a whole to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. They did this together. They didn't just say, okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to devote myself to the apostles' teaching by going home and reading my copy of the Scriptures, which, by the way, they didn't have. No printing press back then, right? The only way that they could devote themselves to the apostles' teaching was to be together with the apostles to be together, and to learn together. 
So when we say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, it's not just in one person. It is us as a collective. And if your your first thought is, well, that's what we're doing today, Stuart. I mean, you're up front, and you're reading Scripture, and you're talking about the Scripture, and we're sitting here, and we're learning, we're listening. That seems like that's what it's supposed to be about, right? In fact, you might even, if you were very astute, and you knew your scriptures well, you might even say, see, that's the way God designed the church, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, he says that Jesus gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And you're going to say, see, Stuart, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be teaching us. You're supposed to be preaching to us. You're the one who the word of God, the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly. And then as a whole, when we all meet together, I'm spilling it over for you. And that is the way that some churches see it. And don't get me wrong, my calling is to be the lead teacher, all right? The lead preacher in this particular church. But I want you to look back at Colossians 3.16 just a moment and understand that we not only learn, we not only learn from pastors and teachers, we do learn from pastors and teachers, but we not only learn from pastors and teachers, we are to learn from one another, We are to learn from one another. It's not just pastor to congregant or Sunday school teacher to Sunday school attender. It is we are to learn from one another. Again, take a look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in all y'all richly. You're millionaires at this. Teaching and admonishing one another. Do you see that? Teaching and admonishing one another. I may be the lead teacher in this particular church. I may be the lead admonisher in this church. But I'm not going to be the only teacher, the only admonisher. We all are called to teach and admonish one another. Now, before I go any further with that, let me me just say this very clearly. There are some of us who love this because we love to teach other people stuff. You know what I'm talking about? The people who are like, oh, yeah, I've got plenty to say. Let me tell you everything that I know. And you you just gush it out. And you're just ready. Yeah, let me teach, let me teach, let me teach but you're to teach and admonish one another, which means not only are you someone who needs to say things, you need to hear things from others. Right? That goes for me. You ever thought about that? Member of Westminster, have you ever thought about that? That Stuart Mazell, your pastor, needs to hear from you. You have something to teach and admonish me about. Because that's the way God designed the church. Like I said last week, we need each other. 
We all have blinders. We all have a ways of, of, of not being able to see our sin. And so we need each other to hold up those mirrors and say, look, is this Jesus or is this something else? We need each other. We need each other. And so the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly and we teach and admonish one another. Yeah, I am the lead teacher and I do that during this time and other times, but you also are to spend time teaching and admonishing one another. And it's not just this passage that says that. Think about Romans 15, 14. Now this is, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome and he doesn't know them that well, but he does say this. I myself am satisfied about you. Again, that's you all, y'all, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. See, he's saying you as a whole, you're able to instruct one another. You have that ability. God has designed you and put you in that body for that purpose. And I know I'm going to open up a can of worms with this one, but 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31 says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. You see, in the early church, they didn't meet the way that we meet. I know that's surprising to some of you, but they met in homes. I mean, they didn't have a nice building to go to. And there probably weren't as many of them in one place as we have even here today. And so there was a, a small number of them many times, and they would meet in homes. And they would spend time talking with each other. They would sing songs. They would pray, and they would talk to each other. They would say things together. And even in this passage, no matter how you interpret prophecy, what you see here is that they were saying things to each other. Right? Right? For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. See, everybody had something to bring to the table. Now, we don't do that way today because we've structured our worship service in a different way, but that doesn't mean that this command doesn't exist for us today. It doesn't mean that we don't do this. We just have to find other ways of making that happen, of getting together other than Sunday morning, being together so that we can teach and admonish one another. Plug for life group. Okay, now we move on. But there is one thing that I want to say. Life groups are important. It is, it is important for us to do life groups. Because of that reason, where else are you going to be able to teach and admonish one another? Where else are you going to be able to spend time together where you can look at each other face to face and say, so and so, this is what I think you need to hear from the scriptures. Or what do you think this means? Or how do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? You can't do that unless you're together in other formats than this one. And one of the things that... Um, <laughs> One of the things that I hear often when it comes to getting together is, well, we like, we like you know, the people that we already know, our friends that we already know, 
you know, and I want to get together with my friends and people I already know and, and they know me and we're already, we already kind of jive together. We don't really want to meet with people that, well, you know, we don't get along with well. I hear that and I understand that. I think that is a very, very easy to understand um, desire. You want to be with people that you're like. You want to be with people that you get along with well. You want to be with people who are like you. I get that. I, I think that's all natural for all of us. But what if God wants to put you in a group, in a circle of friends, that they're not exactly like you? So that that teaching and admonishing part is actually better for you so that you can learn more about Jesus by being rubbed a different way than you want. It makes me think of, um, of this. Think about this. If you were elected president of the United States, like this was an election year and you were elected as the president, and one of the first things you have to do is you have to fill your cabinet. You have to have your top advisors. What kind of people are you going to pick? My guess is that most of us would choose people who are like us, who have the same ideology, the same political views. We want to pick people that we get along with well, you know, people who have proven to be our allies. Well, that's not exactly what Abraham Lincoln did back in 1861, where the nation is kind of falling apart because of you know, the Civil War is happening, getting ready to happen. Abraham Lincoln, rather than picking like-minded allies to fill his cabinet, he included his rivals, his political rivals. At a time when tensions in the nation were extremely high in the nation, he appointed leaders of competing factions in his party to key posts, and you know why? Because he knew these men had strong personalities. Some of them had, were so strong in their personalities they didn't even want to talk to each other. But he knew that if he could bring these advisors together, he believed that they could learn from one another and it would be better for the nation. Whether you think it was really better for the nation, I guess, depends on whether you're on the side of the North or the South. But I will say this. It sounds a lot like what we have in the church. That God brings together people who are very different. People who aren't all the same. So that we can learn from one another because you see things differently than I do. And I see things differently than you do. And you see things differently than these folks do. And because of that, we're better together. And that's why we need each other. We need to get together. We need to spend time together because God calls us to teach and admonish one another. But remember, 
the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. And because that, as the word of Christ richly dwells in us, we are able to teach and admonish one another wisely. And that's a very important part, that wisely part. Again, there's some of us who really like to teach. There's some of us who really like to admonish. Are we doing it wisely? Again, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Some of you know the proverb, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's a great phrase, right? When you have a knife that you need to be sharpened, you don't just look at it and go, be sharp. Doesn't work that way. You take it and you rub it up against something else that's, that's iron, that's metal, that will make it sharper so that it'll be better for its purposes. And we need that. We need to be sharpened. Every one of us. But I will say that when you read Iron Sharpens Iron, a, a, a good friend of mine once said, you know, when iron sharpens iron, sometimes sparks are going to fly. You know, it's not comfortable. But it's better. For iron to sharpen iron is better than for us to not sharpen one another. After all, if we don't have wisdom, how are we going to know how to speak truth to one another, how we're going to teach one another, how we're going to admonish one another? Again, some of us, we just like to admonish because it's fun for us. You know, put people in their place. Come on, some of you know you like to do that. It's fun. Put somebody in their place. Otherwise, Facebook would, probably wouldn't exist if we didn't want to put people in their place. But I will say that you need wisdom to know how to do it. How, as the word of Christ, as the truth of Jesus, knowing that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead to save me from my sin and to save you from your sin then how am I going to speak to you about that unless there's wisdom in that? One of my favorite ways to talk about this is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. Sometimes I show this to people to shock them a little bit, people who don't know the, the Bible that well. Because verse 4 says, Answer a f not, answer not a fool, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Right? So if there's someone who's being foolish, you don't get down on their level so that you don't become like them. But then the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So sometimes if someone's being foolish, you have to get down on their level and do something so that they don't, they don't think that they're smart and they're wise in their own eyes. So which is it? You need wisdom to know the difference. You need wisdom to know, okay, that person's being foolish. I need to answer them 
according to their folly, or that person's being foolish, I don't need to answer them according to their folly. And the more we have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, the more we're going to have that kind of wisdom, and the more we're going to be able to speak those truths to people the way they need to hear it. Because not everybody responds to the same kind of admonition. There are some of you that if I looked at you funny, you'd be like, oh my goodness. I'll I'll change my ways, really, I will. And there's some of you that if I yelled in your face, he would just stand there and go, ha, I'm not doing what you say. And there's some of you that you need a kick in the butt sometimes. And there's some of you that really need that gentle coming around you, putting your arm around the person saying, it's going to be okay. We can get through this together. How do you know the difference? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more we have the mind of Christ, the more we're thinking the way Jesus thinks, the more we've got his ways in our DNA, the better we're going to be able to do that together. Uh, as, uh, first, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, notice this. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You see how he's dividing things up there? If you're idle, you need to be admonished. But if you're faint-hearted, you need to be encouraged. If you're weak, you need to be helped. And everybody needs patience. It's a good word for us. If you believe that Jesus really died for your sins and rose from the dead to make you his, then you belong to him. And if you belong to him, then everybody else who believes that, they belong to him. And we're all together in this. And so we need one another and we need to teach and admonish. We need to learn from one another. So your action point for today is this. Lean into learning the ways of Christ in community. Lean into it. Don't lean away from it. Lean in. The best way that I know that you can do this is through life groups. And so this is why we have the Better Call Paul um, logo that we've had for some time. There you go. You're looking for a life group? Better Call Paul. Now you better not call Paul this week because he's on vacation. All right. If you call him this week, he's probably going to let it go to voicemail. But, look, we, we emphasize life groups because how else are you going to do these things unless you're in a smaller group of people where you can actually get to know one another and know one another well to be able to speak the truth in wisdom, to let the word of Christ really dwell in you richly and to overflow from you to another and from that person to you. It's really a beautiful thing if you think about it that we're all in this together and we're all here to help one another be more of what Jesus calls us to be. I'm going to brag a little bit on my life group, if you don't mind. Um, I love my life group. They text each other during the week about things that are going on in their lives. 
pretty, pretty open when we meet about things that are happening. We spend time praying for one another. We spend time speaking to one another. But one of my favorite things is when we're in a group and someone brings something up. What do you guys think about this? And then the group comes alive and starts sharing truth with one another. And it is a beautiful thing to see. It really is. And I, I very much appreciate my life group for that reason. And I hope that every life group is like that, where you're really learning from one another so you can be more like Jesus. All right, so let's lean in. And as we lean in, let's mature together in Christ as we learn with and from each other. Let me pray for us. Father, will you please help us to mature together that your word, your truth, the good news of Jesus really will be in us, dwell in us richly. And we would overflow with your truth and your goodness and your wisdom and that we would share that truth and goodness and wisdom with one another in ways that would build up your church and we would be better for it. Help us to do this, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.